the Q ratio, average convergence, divergence, basis points, and BS. Financial shows love to sound smart, but on Money Matters, we want to make you smart. That's why the goal is to keep you informed and empowered. Our focus, providing clear, actionable information without the financial jargon to help 1 million families retire sooner and happier. Based on the long-running WSB radio show, this Money Matters podcast is tailor-made for both modern retirees and those still in the planning stages. Join us in this exciting new chapter and let's journey toward a financially secure and joyful retirement together. Markets at an all-time high. Should you stay? Should you run? What's the happy retiree to do? And the power of dividends. Of course, it's NFL playoff times. It is a huge week for earnings for the markets over the past week. GDP numbers, gross domestic product numbers, inflation numbers this week. Where is it all headed? Is it solo vacationing? I don't think so. But Wall Street Journal did a fascinating article about the, the ballooning of interest in solo vacationing particularly for retirees. We're going to jump into all of that here on today's edition of Money Matters. Your host, Wes Moss, with you every Sunday from 9 to 11 here today. And of course, the formidable, great Jeff Lloyd here in the studio with me today. Jeff, just more fun having you here. No, thanks for having me back. Good, good to be back here. The question here that we've been contemplating, and I've gotten lots of questions over this past week about, is that in the headlines, this word all-time high, new record territory. And it is, it's great if you're invested and it feels good if you're watching your 401k balance and you've got, if you've got stocks at all, you're likely having a, another pretty good start to the year. Last year was probably pretty good because markets went up, but you keep seeing the markets forge new ground. At the same time, you get this feeling of, wait a minute, the market is already high. And if you've got money market and the statistics are that there is a tremendous trillions of dollars in money market funds right now because rates went up a lot last year. Money markets went from paying essentially zero to paying two and then three and then four and then 5%. So trillions of dollars flowed into money market funds and it's still there. The question will be, does that money from the sidelines move over to the market? Question is, if I'm a human, wait a minute, the market is high. Aren't I, I'm, I'm not supposed to buy high. And that's the question. And I think the conundrum a lot of investors are in right now. What, what do we do when the market has done so well? Maybe you have money sitting on the sidelines. Last year, you thought it was a good bet. You made 5% in money market. Great. But the S&P 500 was up over 20%. So there's a lot of opportunity costs there as well. So there's a couple of things to really think about and contemplate here, Jeff Lloyd. The first question is what what happens to markets once you get to an all-time high? The question is what happens next? So of, of course we don't know. Right? We don't know what's going to happen in the next three months, six months, or even one year. But we have an idea. We can go back and look at how markets have done when they've reached a peak. And you can go back to, and there's a couple of different studies we we did here and we found. So we've, we have a combination of different ways of looking at this. But think of this first one where we go back to 1958. And this is one that we, we this is data from Bloomberg and the CIA or Capital Investment Advisor 
investment the investment committee team and the research team went back and pulled every single time we hit a high starting in 1958 and then if it went for more than a year before retaking that high what happened so if we so that if you think about it, here's the data here once markets reach a new all-time high again after going a year or more without doing so what's happened What's happened over the following year or two-year time periods? Well, first of all, so we're counting here, that's 13 different periods of time. And technically, here we are again, but it just started because we just hit the all-time high, let's call it a week ago or so. But if you look at what the data shows us, a year later, 90, first of all, 92% of the time we're positive. So 12 out of 13 periods of time we're positive a year later after hitting an all-time high wait a minute, wait, I thought we weren't supposed to invest when we get to an all-time high. Well, the market, the, the history does not show that. It shows that markets are higher a year later, 92% of the time, on average, up 15.3% on average. So this, this natural reaction of, I don't want to get into markets when they are, they, they've already done well, the reality here is that if we go back over the course of history, it is is actually, believe, interestingly enough, it's been a really good time to be invested. The other, if you go out two years, it's a similar story. So twelve or it's eleven out of thirteen are positive a year later. Average uh, average rate of return over two years is twenty three percent. So the thought around oh, because the market is at a high, maybe it's time to sell and get out. History does not show that at all. It, and then another way to look at this, this is these are consecutive trading days without a new all-time closing high. We've gone really long periods of time. If you go back from 1972 to 1980, we went over 1,800 days without getting to a high. At January of 2000 through 2007, we went another 1,800 days without getting to a closing high. But most of the time, if you go back to the, the early 1950s, you, it usually is only two to 400 days before we ultimately make a new high. And this one was over 500. So we went a really long time over the course of history, relative minus a couple of really long stretches. Isn't it kind of funny how you're seeing the headlines that say, hey, markets are hitting all-time highs, yet some people want to think about that in a negative connotation of, Oh, wow, the, the markets have run up too much. We're at all time, we're at all time highs again. It, you know, is the market too expensive? Do I need to sell? Do I need to trim some, take some gains? Well, it's, it's interesting how those headlines kind of fuel that conversation. Well, the other thing too is that now we're in bull market territory. So now we're officially a bull market. One, we're up over 20% from the low in October of 22. And we are and we've climbed back to the previous all-time high, which was really the like the first day or two of January of 2022. So 2022 spent the entire year going down for the most part. 2023 spent most of the year recovering from that. And it wasn't until the second or third week in January where we just cracked through where we were. So think about two, two years of just declining and making up for the decline. But when you get into a bull market, so historically bull markets have had obviously significant performance averaging 156% since 1947. 
the median gain of 101%. So those are those are rates of return once bull markets have have really gotten going. Typically, they've lasted more than 1,700 days. So the, the bear markets are much shorter than bull markets. They tend to run and they run. So that, that's over four years. The current bull market, obviously, brand new, just, just starting. So the question will be how much is in the tank when it comes to where we are. Here's another study. This is interesting. I found this from RBC, Global uh, Asset Management, that, that shows if you go back into the 1950s, this was a study from 1950 through 2019, and you invested at an all-time high only versus the average of investing in all dates. So it's this is similar to participation versus perfection. Average over a year, if you only nailed the all-time high, you would have averaged 11.6%. Average of all the other dates, 12.5. So interesting that even getting in when markets have already done well, we've seen that over the course of history, there's been momentum and it's really continued. More Money Matters straight ahead. Thinking about retirement in 2024? Well, you're not alone, and I've got just the thing to help guide you on your journey. What the happiest retirees know. My most recent book that shares the 10 habits of the happiest retirees. Meant to help you land at a place where work becomes optional. For a limited time, get 25% off at westmossbooks.com. Simply use the promo code OURTREAT, all one word, at checkout. That's wesmossbooks.com. Jeff Lloyd, a mountain of news this past week. Big economic news, big macroeconomic news that impacts us all. And then company news. We're starting to see earnings really roll in. And probably the most interesting announcement this week was, was I would say, probably Netflix. Kind, yep. of, a, kind of amazing how many subscribers they picked up their their subs are really just through the roof 13 million subscribers in the quarter it's it's hard to fathom that now part of that are they'll have these deals with carriers with cell phone carriers and they'll automatically get a netflix subscription so i think that's part of it but it's a lot of people a lot of new people I mean, I wonder how many of those 13 million were the ones that got kicked off their parents' account and then had to open their own. I think that could be fun. You know, they've been cracking down on that lately. And then they announced a $5 billion partnership with WWE. What I remember as a kid, WWE, or was, it, was, it was WWF when I was a kid, World Wrestling Federation. And it's interesting that that is, call it sports entertainment. It's not obviously fully a sport because there's there's a ton of entertainment around it but it's still obviously extremely popular they just so it's a five billion dollar partnership between netflix and wwe to stream those events now they, they would stream them live correct yes that's right and that's tko group that's the parent of wwe that stock was up a bunch this week so again we're not talking we're not saying buy or sell any of these companies but it is fascinating that the, the, as the streaming wars continue, Netflix continues to just dominate the landscape. And, and I guess that they, they, they just have so much more content than the other streamers. They do. And 
do your boys watch wrestling or did they ever watch wrestling no, growing up? Neither. I've, I, I've never, we, we've never, I've just don't ever see it on TV. And maybe that's why the, the evidently there is a giant fan base and not a whole lot of distribution is I think part of it. I see more UFC, the, the cage matches are on TV all the time, but you don't usually see, I don't typically see wrestling. So one of the coolest sporting events, and I'll call it a sporting event that I've ever been to. Sports entertainment. Sports entertainment event was when WrestleMania came to the Georgia Dome. Uh, and me and a buddy went, and it was fascinating. Do you remember uh, Snooki from Jersey sure, Shore? Yeah, yeah. She was one of the like wrestling events. She was in it. Oh, she wrestled? She wrestled in it, in the WrestleMania in Atlanta. Wow. Maybe it's going to be third place for the third most fascinating reality show on television which is wwe we'll see but uh, clearly they're, they're seeing a, a uh, they're seeing a market that's underserved and maybe that's why this partnership is going so the speaking of the the big macro news that i think is is super important from this week and it's it's a continue it's it's similar to the story we've heard, we've heard over the last year and a half we're not supposed to have good GDP, yet we have good GDP. We On Thursday of this past week, we got a 3.3% GDP number. 3.3% from uh, for Q4 relative to the prior quarter. And 2.5% for last year. That's the estimate now. 2.5% gross domestic product. Now we're talking about a 70, $27 trillion plus dollar economy. Growing it, call it 25 to 3%. That's robust. And inflation has come down. And the, the there's CPI that we will frequently talk about, which is consumer price index. And then there's PCE, the uh, the producer uh, or, or personal consumption expenditures is another way to measure inflation. And that has looked relatively benign. One of the one of their headline numbers, sub three percent. So the it's funny, there was a I think it was US Bank or I can't remember what bank this was, but there chief economist said something to the effect that it was a supersonic, it was a supersonic Goldilocks economic report, which I remember in our 2024 outlook, we wrote all about Goldilocks in 2024. So we, we, we thought, well, we don't think the economy is going to be terrible because the labor market's so strong. Consumers are still in pretty good shape. And then that gets reinforced by a strong labor market. We also can see longer term higher inflation relative to what we've had over the last 15 years, but noting that inflation can continue to come down from these the, from the really high levels we saw now we've seen now for the last two years continue to moderate, and that PCE number shows that it continues to moderate. So we see strong economic growth and lower inflation, which they're not. That that's that's super. That's that is that's a supersonic Goldilocks, I think. That's the first time I've heard that phrase, supersonic Goldilocks, and it's almost like turning Goldilocks into a superhero, right? Which I think you can absolutely do. I think Goldilocks could be a superhero all day long. She would have the mag she would have the the magical ability to to moderate everything. So she, her superpower would be if something looks too hot and bubbly and out of hand, she cools it down. If something's too cool and not good enough. She she brings up the temp. She's the she's the, her superpower is moderation, and we love that in economics. Supersonic 
Goldilocks. Now I don't know what that would look like, but as you know, I'm not going to say I'm a I'm a the, a foremost thought leader around superheroes, but I'm I do spend a lot of time watching Marvel movies. Who, over, who's over. your favorite? Favorite what? Who's your favorite superhero? Marvel or DC or just the whole universe? just in general? Superman. Okay. Super. Easy. May may I say Man of Steel? Okay. Well, that's funny. I was about to say <laughs> I, I haven't seen a really good Superman movie lately. Is Man of Steel? What do you mean you haven't seen it? Man, I of hadn't Steel? seen Man of Steel. What do you mean you haven't seen Man of Steel? I, I'm, what, I'm, are a you a, I'm a Batman guy. Are you an American? I'm I'm a Batman guy. Are you an American, Jeff I, Lloyd? When was the last Superman movie you watched? Probably um, one with Christopher Reeves from like the 1980s. I think that might have been my last Superman. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Confession time. I know. Welcome to Welcome to 2024. Man of Steel. I, I, it's a, It's actually been around for a long time. Well, when, I know. When, what, when I know. The, I'm writing it down. What? Here's what I'm going to do tonight. Man of We're, Steel is perhaps the best superhero movie of all time. Okay. Of all time, I've watched it probably a, a, a nine a dozen times. It is so good. Now it's a little dark, and it's it's filmed and it's got a little bit of that Gothamy, even though it's not about Batman. But Batman's oh, wait, is he in that one? I don't think he's in this one. I get them run, they, but they, there are multiple Superman movies. Yeah, there's there's a Batman will come into some of these. I don't know if he's in the the in the Man of Man of Steel. I think it's just him against Zod. I mean, it's just a, it's a really good movie. It's very good. It's heartwarming. It's America. Clark Kent, it's kind of right before he doesn't want everybody to know he's Superman, but he is Superman. Guy tries to mess with him in a bar. He's a waiter in like Alaska somewhere. Instead of beating the guy up, he goes out to his tractor trailer truck full of giant timber. These are trees with just with the, the branches taken off and skewers his truck with these 200 foot trees as if they were toothpicks in a shrimp. Guy walks out, his truck is hanging and dangling on 200 foot locks. It's a, it's a, it's a solid movie. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to watch it soon. Okay. All right. So we have great, we have really good GDP news and we have pretty good or, or cooling inflation. You put it all together, you get this super Goldilocks effect, at least for now. So we don't know if this will continue. I'm in the camp and we've written a lot about this going into the new year, Jeff Lloyd, that there's there's no reason the economy can't grow at least a little bit in 2024, despite all the forecasts that we're going to go into recession. And saw that last year didn't happen. Saw it, we see it this year. We don't necessarily buy it. Now, what we had been before before we got into current topics of the day, we have this this thought around what do you do now that the market's at an all time high? Isn't it time to sell? What does the bull new bull market mean for your 401k? What should retirees do in a new bull market? What do you do? And it's a scary proposition to invest or put new money to work when you when you see the market bumping up on these brand new historical highs. The voice in our human investor brain naturally says, "Don't touch hot stove." The the but history shows us that the stove is is rarely all that hot following one of these all-time highs. So you look at the data over the past 70 plus years, investing at or near an all-time high, perhaps surprisingly, works very well. 
again, the, the data we went through, we, we, we've gone through today. Once we hit an all-time high, less than 10% of the time, markets are down 10% or more a year later. That's the, that's the, so again, once you hit an all-time high, less than 10% of the time, a year later, it's down. Again, looking at the data, once the market's gone up, gone more than a year without making an all-time high, like it did between 2022, falling most of 22, rebounding most of 2023, that was over two years before we hit a new all-time high, which was just a couple of weeks ago. Markets are up a year later, 92% of the time, up on average over 15%, and up 23% on average two years later. How? Why is this? I don't know if there's there's no perfect answer here. Perhaps there's this consolidation effect. Markets get hit. It takes a while for them to stop going down. And then they get stuck in this quagmire for a long period of time. And then they finally, and when they finally break back out, which is taking, it, it takes something relatively strong to be able to do that. Make a bottom, come back, put in a brand new high. Usually that that doesn't happen just for a trivial reason. Usually something has got to be going on. Maybe it's earnings that is, has done that. Earnings are always almost always important. Maybe it's the fact that the U.S. economy has just refused to go into recession. Economic numbers are defying all of the dour predictions. Again, GDP numbers just grew at 3.3%. That's a big number. 2.5% for the full, full year. PCE, personal consumption expenditures. Uh, Fed, the, the Fed watches very, very closely. Eased to 2.7% annually without food and energy, up only 38 Two percent. So you, you you put all this together, and even though we've got trillions of dollars sitting in money market because we've had some nice rates of return on money markets, that's the that's the upside of the Fed raising rates. Hey, interest rates are higher. It's bad news. Good news is interest rates are higher. So we've got better money market rates. We've got better rates on treasuries, and we we do think. And here we are talking about equity markets, but I think it's also a pretty good time for fixed income investors too, at least for the safety side of the portfolio, that can generate real interest. We know yield is destiny, meaning that we're starting yields, which are higher today than they've been in arguably 10 years and on, on short-term rates are higher than they've been in 22 years. That's, that's, that bodes well for where, what fixed income or bond investors can make over the next few years. It's hard for investors to to want to invest when you hear, oh, markets are at a new high. Well, I don't want to invest at a new high. I don't buy a house. Oh, that house just sold for the most it's ever sold. I don't want to buy that house. I'm going to buy it when it's 20% off. And if we were to always do that as investors, it's, it is a good strategy. It's, but if you go back over the course of history, it's almost counterintuitive that if once markets make an all-time high, it's very rare that they're down a year later and they average, and this is going all the way back to the 1950s. We've had 13 of these periods where we set all-time highs. A year later, there's 92% of the time it's positive, up 15% or so on average. So it's a little bit counterintuitive, but if you think about what a market has to do to get back to an all-time high, a lot has to start going right. And, and I think that may be the case here is that a lot of, predictions that the economy was going to be terrible. The Fed's raising rates, trying to kill inflation. It's going to crush the economy. Earnings are going to be bad. And that took the market down in 2022. 
It rebounded in 2023 f- for the l- better part of the year. And then early this year in 2024, it finally got back to where it was over two years ago. And a lot has to go right. And think about what we just saw, another growing economy. We just got a GDP number this week. We just got another inflation number this week that shows that inflation continues to cool. We're getting this Goldilocks, a super Goldilocks effect happening right now. Strong economy, but not too strong. Decent inflation numbers cooling, but not too cool and not too hot. So we're right now, at least, we're in this zone where we're liking the data. And in large part, the the market has... Is, is taken to that. And that's part of the reason we're, we're back to, we've made some new, we've made new ground for markets. We have seen over 1,100 new all-time highs since the 1950s, since 1950. So yes, even though you hear, oh, the market hit a new all-time high today, we've, we've had that, over a thousand of these. And so it's not as though it's a rare event, the market does well, and then all of a sudden has to stop doing well. And that's the history lesson that we, we think is important to take away from today here on Money Matters. Solo vacationing. Where, where are we going here? We've got all-time high market. We talked a lot about that. Very interestingly, if you go back over the course of history, starting in 1950 until now, the last 13 times the market has forged new ground. And the market has so many days, like 11, over 1,100 days that it's made new highs over the course of the last, call it 70 years. So it's not that rare. It's not that rare that this happens. But I, but I almost ironically or interestingly, even though if you were to pick those starting dates when the market did does reach a new high, it keeps going historically. 92% of the time a year later, the S&P 500 is positive, up about 15% a year out, up 23% out two years, still a highly positive hit rate. So it's interesting that over the course of history, you you as an investor may think, wait a minute, stove is hot, do not touch. But the stove is not nearly as warm as we may think it is, at least according to history. The second piece of the equation is... And not that it's taken 32 years for the Detroit Lions to get back into a, a champ, NFC championship game. But 32 years ago, if you look at where the market was, here we are, 32 years later, market's up over 2,000%. It takes time. It takes a, a ton of time and it takes patience in order to find results and bear fruit as from your investments. But a big part of that that does not get talked about is the 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 hit, almost hidden or unsung power of dividends because dividends themselves just grow over time year after year and they they just they they go almost unnoticed but they're the really powerful fundamental force that then adds to in fact if, if, here you you pulled this from bloomberg here's a great example the price change since the lions were in the NFC championship game or conference championship game back in 1992 January 12th you look at this, you see S&P 500 index, price change is 1,067%. Wait, didn't I say 2,000? Well, guess what? Total return is 2,092%. Well, wait, wait a minute. 1,000% from price appreciation and another 1,000% from what, Jeff Lloyd? Dividends. Half. Maybe a little more than half. So it's, it's, a, it's a very powerful force. So I look at the Dow Jones, same thing. 
price change up 1,081% in price, up 2,402% in total return because of the reinvestment of dividends. Now, if you're in retirement, you may be taking those dividends because you may be living on them, but either way, they're coming into your account, their cash flow. And we're going to talk about the growth of dividends over time. Powerful, unsung hero. The other, the other surprise, not a surprise to me necessarily this week, but it somewhat surprising to the market is just how strong third quarter, uh, fourth quarter GDP was. So here we are in January getting last quarter's GDP numbers. These are, in economics, you've got lagging and leading indicators, and you've got coincident, so the kind of leading indicator is something that sh should be telling you something about what's going to happen. Coincident, of course, is just, hey, what's happening in real time? And then lagging, this is the ultimate laggy number. It doesn't matter what GDP did last quarter. It's a long time ago. A lot's happened since then. So it's not really constructive or all that helpful for, for where we're headed today. However, you, we've, there was so much talk last year that there was going to be a, a bad year for the economy, and it wasn't. And, and we just got the numbers to, to prove that up for the year over a, up about two and a half percent GDP growth, which is may not sound like a lot, but for a 27 plus trillion dollar economy, that's a serious growth rate. And just just think about at the beginning, at the end of 2022, beginning of 2023, how many forecasters do you think were calling for GDP growth of two and a half percent? For the full year 2023, I didn't. I didn't know many. I didn't know many or any. I I found a really interesting. This was a, something to do with market markets, important market visuals to understand. And it was a chart of. It was a chart of forecasts. It was economic forecasts of where interest rates were headed, and over the course of the last 15 years. And the, the solid line was where interest rates went. And they essentially went straight down for 15 years. That entire period of time, then, then the dotted lines were all the predictions from the consensus of economists. They were all going up. So you had this, this line essentially going straight down for 15 years. And every single year, there was this tail that was headed up. So it was totally wrong, totally wrong, totally wrong, year after year after year after year after year. Didn't even get the direction right let alone the magnitude when it comes to forecasting interest rates. Pretty interesting. Reasons to sell. There's always reasons to sell. Hey, we're at a new all-time high, Wes. Reason do I need to do sell. I need to sell? All right. So if I go back to let's let's go back to March of 09 and that's kind of the bottom of the financial crisis. So this is this this number is going to sound good because it was after a long period of decline. So the, just full disclosure on that. The market is up around 780% total return, S&P 500. I can't even read this because it's I, I print, just printed this last night and it's too small for me to read. Maybe it's 760. It's se over 750%, right? At the same time, during all of that that climb, that wall, that market going, market's going up, climbing that wall of worry, you have you have time and time again of reasons that you thought you might need to sell. You, know, you go back to 2012. Dow Jones only had one po five positive days in an entire month for the first time since 1968. Wait a minute, 
something's wrong. Fiscal cliff talks. Remember the fiscal cliffs sent stocks lower. We had the taper tantrum. We had the U.S. government shutdown. We had the Ebola virus contagion fears. We had election futures. This was 2016. This must have been the night. Oh, I remember this. The night that Trump got elected, the U.S. election futures were down 5% overnight in overnight trading. You continue on here. Another government shutdown. You've got uh, emergency Fed injection, the repo market. This is coming off. Uh, this is, and by the way, this is before we even got to COVID. And then, of course, COVID, which talk about a reason to sell, which turned out to be not a reason to sell, at least for investors. But these are the things that we're just always faced with. And it makes investing really tough. And that's why it's nice to have some grounding and some perspective around how markets have behaved over time because your gut probably says and rightly so well the, the stove is hot don't touch it the the market's up don't go near it however you open up a history book and you start to get some perspective around that and the perspective here to me was actually a little eye-opening and and i thought to myself I, I i'm surprised that the numbers are so good going back to the 50s so we're talking 70 some years now of getting to getting to a point where markets did really well and then they continue to do well historically. So that's a lesson. What we're going to talk about as we, well, let's go right to dividends. It's it's time. It's one of my favorite topics of all time. We're big believers here on Money Matters of what we call multi-asset class income investing, or just simply put income investing. We want to get a cash flow from we want dividends from stocks. We want interest from bonds. We want distributions from some of the other areas that aren't that don't perfectly fit into those categories. All three, though, are come in the form of cash. You get that money in into your investment account if it's paying a dividend. Now they're often ignored because they're usually smaller numbers. Stock XYZ pays fifty cents a share. Well, great. Nobody seems to care about fifty cents, but that goes up by. So-and-so XYZ company raised their dividend by seven cents. Okay, big deal. Well, that's seven cents on 50. That's 14%. That is a big deal. Increasing cash flow by 14%, just as an example. So they get they they, they get some short shrift. They don't dividend increases don't take the headlines because they're usually headlines about cents. And nobody picks up a penny off the off the ground anymore because since really because of inflation aren't really worth a whole lot. But they are when it comes to dividends and they really add up. More money matters straight ahead. I'm excited to go over this, which is what we need to know about the markets, Jeff Lloyd, hidden strength. Of course, we're talking about dividends. And we just updated our dividend growth study that we've done year after year after year now. We, we have the, we've just updated as of course of the end of 2023. So this is the latest. We, we've talked about how anything in the, in the form of pennies gets short shrift. I've told the story of my son walking by, uh, picking up the, there was a, there was a student V Anthony dollar or Sacagawea dollar and a, I think a, a nickel and he picked up the, the silver dollar and didn't pick up the nickel. Why didn't you do that? Well, it's, it's does not worth anything. I mean, even a kid knows that. So that's how dividends work though. 
it's not uncommon for a company to pay a dividend as a small, seemingly small amount, 50, and plus they're broken into quarters. So if, even if a, if, a, if a company's paying a dollar a share per year, that's not, that sounds pretty good, but they, they speak of them in quarterly numbers. So they only pay 25 cents this quarter. So it immediately gets off the radar. Well, it's only 25 pennies, no big deal, who cares? So un uh, unfortunately, the public, just like my son, who did th th this story comes from, neglect and appreciate that this is decimal point of a distribution. Doesn't seem like it could add up all that much. What's the big deal? A few cents. So think about this. It, 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 if you had a 50 cent dividend and... But so four cents on 57 cents, let's say, is only a 7% dividend increase. What's the big deal? Well, that, well it, it adds up. And here's what we mean by that. So we've tracked over the course of time. So we go back to 1980 and we take a look at the S&P 500 and we look at if we were put $10,000 in the S&P 500, what did it pay us back then? Let's say we were an income investor and we had to choose between bonds or IOUs issued by governments or companies. Investors buy loans and then the issuer promises to pay them back in full. Plus you get some interest along the way. Back then in 1980, interest rates are pretty high. They were like 11%. So if you were wanting to get some income and you had to choose and you, you had $10,000 to, to get going, it, the S&P 500, which by the way, had a big dividend back then. It was a, a little over 5%. So you could have gotten 529 bucks a year in dividends. Well, if you had put it in the in the overall bond index, you would have gotten $1,100 in income. So call that closer to a little more than 11%. So let's just say you chose, well, I'm going to stick with bonds because they pay me more and ignore stocks. Well, we're going to run to news weather traffic and we're going to come back with the results over time. What did What changed over that period of time? And then how did dividends grow relative to how did interest go? How much money in income got paid out for that investor over the course of time? And I think the results are pretty, they're pretty staggering. We're going to also look at that relative to inflation. What did dividends do? Just a good old-fashioned CPI, which we pulled from the St. Louis Federal Reserve from 1980 until the end of this past year or end of last year, the numbers tell a serious story, an important story about the power of dividends and the raising or the increase of dividends over time. So let's say you're an investor and you want to go get income and you, and you get to start with $10,000 and that's your goal. And you think, well, over time, how am I going to get the most income from an investment? You only have two to choose from. You can choose the bond index or the stock index. Real, real simple. S&P 500 and the aggregate bond index. So you start back in 1980 and you and you chose, because interest rates are really high back then, you chose fixed income, bonds, IOUs. And you would have been right. You would have been right and you would have made more money relative to bonds, at least in an income perspective for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years before stocks started to outpace from an income perspective what you would you've been getting you would have gotten from bonds so so ten thousand dollars back then 1980 your cash flow your dividend slash interest would have been a little over 1100 bucks that's a little over 11 percent no wonder that the investor chose that s p 500 had a pretty good dividend back then too 
was a little over 5%. You got 529 bucks in cash flow. But here's where it gets fascinating is that if you let that go over the course of time, and again, my chart here shows from 1980, I've got in the blue line bond interest and the red line is stock dividend, stock dividends. Both are cash flow that you receive if you own either of these indices or investments in these indices. The blue line, which starts out higher than the red line, so bond interest wins for a while, and then it steadily goes down. Now, down. now part of that is that interest rates went down. They went from a high back in 1980, down and down and down until only recently they've come back up. But what is so interesting is that the red line, which is stock dividends, for the most part, it just slowly goes up year after year after year. So the $10,000 investment in the S&P 500 started out with a dividend of 529 bucks. 44 years later, this is updated as the end of last year, the dividend income had climbed to $6,420. That's a 64% yield on your original investment. On your original investment. Now, don't forget the original investment grew as well. It, it, again, for example, $10,000 S&P 500, it would have grown into almost $441,000 over that period of time course, the income now so much higher. On the other hand, aggregate bond index only grew from 10,000 to 14,000, a little over 14,000, and now would only pay about $657 per year or six, call it six and a half percent on your original investment. It's clear who wins. The red line loses for a little while and then just takes off. That's the dividend line. Annual stock dividends increased over that period of time, 12X. They went up 12X looking at annual payout from a little over 500 bucks to over $6,000. Again, the, the, pr the price only index for the S&P 500 grew 44 times as well. So you had more engine to produce more income into the future. On the other hand, bonds rose less than one and a half times the price and now have 41% less income than they did when started. Now, another way to look at this is just looking at dividends relative to inflation. So I go back to 1980 through 2023, S&P 500 dividend index, uh, inflation rose by 4X. So I went back to FRED, which is the, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics on the St. Louis Federal Reserve site, looked at it, inflation, CPI, all urban consumers. The level back in Jan of 20, 1980 was 78 it grew to about 308. That is a 295% increase in inflation. 295% in inflation. We'll call it 4X. Inflation went up four times. Well, if you look at just the dividend payout for the S&P 500, it went up 12X. Went from 529 to $6,400. That's, that's a 12X increase. Now, look at those two together. The dividend growth beats inflation because they both grew. One grew a heck of a lot faster. Dividends grew at 3x the rate of inflation over the course of 1980 through last year. That's a powerful way to look at this. This is, again, you don't get, a, we don't hear a lot about dividends, but wait a minute. The dividend alone from stocks beat inflation by 3x? 
that's the way I look at this. So, so the verdict is that dividends are a really powerful wealth building source. You just don't want to ignore them. Jeff? No, it's, it's funny. Over the last couple of years, we've obviously made a joke here on Money Matters that we need to rename it Inflation Matters because we talk about it just about every week. But inflation has really taken off since really after COVID. So 2021, you know, through, this through what week. we're, see, through through what this we're seeing this week. Yep. And this is just a good reminder and a good illustration of how you protect that purchasing power, how you protect your wallet, how you protect your spending power. And that's by dividends. Again, let's remember the power of dividends. It, it can be frustrating if you're unaware of it, but this is what we're trying to do here. Money Matters is educate some of these really powerful historical trends that that we can learn from, that we can we can harness. And if we give it enough time, we've, we have a good shot that this works for us as well. I think it's tough though when you're a newer investor and you hear people like me talk about these 30, 40, 50 year studies, they well, that's great. That happened over that period of time. Of course it worked over 30 years. I don't want to wait 30 years. And that's just the reality is that we do. We do need to really give it a ton of time to make it work. Speaking of time, let's do something a little lighter. We've had, this has been investment heavy, Jeff Lloyd. Probably article of the week that's non-financial, but very much about living a happy or unhappy retirement had to do with travel. The trick to a great marriage this is a Wall Street Journal story. It was recommended on my app. The, 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 the trick to a great marriage, vacation without a partner. What? So I was a little shocked at the title. So naturally, you clicked on it. Of course. Clickbait. So I read it and I thought, wait a minute, maybe they're talking about, okay, maybe not with your spouse, but you're going to go on a trip and you're going to go on a girl's trip. Of course you're going to go girl. In fact, when we talked about it, that's what I said. I was like, well, you know, I think they're just talking about the girl's trip. That's fine. Group, group trips are great. You go on a guy's ski trip. Great. What's wrong with that? But that's not what this was about. This is about solo travel. There is a 46% there uptick this year over last year, I guess 2023 over 2022, a 46% increase in solo travel, according to the U.S. Consumer Travel Report for Market Research and Focusrite. Women motivated by the desire to explore the world independently and enjoy his sense of freedom. This is from Wall Street Journal. Often undertake these journeys, even if their spouses are not interested. Is that what this comes down to? Guys just don't want to go on trips? I think it's both. Guys want to go by themselves, according to Wall Street Journal, and girls want to go by themselves. Yeah, but most of the, the, the higher propensity for female travelers. Interesting. Well, okay. I guess I guess I can see that. I'm usually interested in trips. I, I like going on trips. With uh, If Lynn brings up a trip, I'm usually all, all in. Yeah, and I, I want to go on record that the trick to a great marriage for me would be, would be vacationing with my partner, not without. Every time? Shouldn't you go on? Are we live? It's <laughs> <laughs> good. It's good. Every time. So give yourself permission to go on a trip. And I guess I'm still sticking with my research here, our research. I think that you want to do group trips. One of the 
folks interviewed in the Wall Street Journal said it was her eat, pray, love travel trip, going all over the world solo, meeting people. And she was married and she had kids and she was going for a month. I think maybe 12 weeks. Now, I think that she had just had a rough couple of years and she was kind of celebrating a little bit of fun and a little bit more freedom, but I don't know. I just think that it seemed like a clickbait headline to me. The numbers though, I guess don't lie. The numbers for solo travelers are up. I still contend trip, trip with friends. Heck of a lot better. And with that, you can find both of us and ask questions throughout the week. Easy to do so right on our website, yourwealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R wealth.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This is provided as a resource for informational purposes and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. The mention of any company is provided to you for informational purposes and as an example only and is not to be considered investment advice or recommendation or an endorsement of any particular company. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. There is no guarantee offered that investment return, yield, or performance will be achieved. The information provided is strictly an opinion and for informational purposes only, and it is not known whether the strategies will be successful. There are many aspects and criteria that must be examined and considered before investing. This information is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment, tax, estate, or financial planning considerations or decisions. Investment decisions should not be made solely based on information contained herein.